Happy Sabbath, everyone. Oops, sorry. Like peering through a window blurred with rain Emotions run together in a flood of doubt and pain We pray as best we can Now we must leave it in His hands Yet I know when my eyes fail to see He is able Even though it seems impossible to me He is able If he chooses not to move In a way we pray we move Confident he's working All together for my good I will stand behind his word For he is Haunt you night and day. How could God allow your heart to be torn this way? Does He listen when you call, or is He even there at all? Yet I know when my eyes. to me He is able And if He chooses not to move in the way we pray He would Confident He's working all together for my good I will stand behind His word for he is able. He is able. And as the night gives way to dawning and evaporates away, I stand to face another.
Thank God. Just say hallelujah. Hallelujah. He is able. Praise the Lord. Thank you for that message in song. And thank you, widow lady, for that children's story this morning. As we continue looking at the theme of the people God wants us to be, today we're focusing on the aspect of being a praising people. Would you bow your hearts together with me in prayer? Father, our hearts are rejoicing because we are sitting together in heavenly places at this very moment through the presence of your sweet Holy Spirit. Thank you for all that we have been exposed to during this time of worship and fellowship together. And now realizing the importance of what we're about to study from your word, I offer myself as a vessel of fresh and anew into your hands at this very moment. Please cleanse me with the washing of the blood of your dear Son, and please anoint with the power of your sweet Holy Spirit, so that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart will be acceptable in your sight, so that your purpose, your design purpose might be accomplished for each of us as individuals, as families, and as a church collective. Because this prayer I pray, and praises for victories I give in Christ's name, amen. You don't have to raise your hands or respond vocally, but despite maintaining good devotional habits relative to prayer, as we looked at in our session last Sabbath, have you ever felt as though you were never quite satisfied with your spiritual journey? your spiritual life. I must confess to you that that I have. And I've asked myself the question many times, why is it that these types of frustrations plague too many of us in the body of Christ today? And I believe there are a number of answers to that question. But one of the answers relates to an aspect of worship and of daily living that some of us do not exercise enough. Now, I believe in exercise. I'm a certified master fitness trainer. I've trained hundreds of people down through the years. But even though I put a lot of emphasis on physical exercise, and I exercise religiously at least four days a week, most weeks more than that, but as much emphasis as I put on physical exercise... I am more convicted and convinced of the importance of spiritual exercise. And one of the aspects of worship that we do not exercise enough is in relation to praise. A number of years ago, I read a slogan on a church sign that went like this, praise is the spark plug of faith. And I like that. You know what a spark plug does, don't you? It helps bring about ignition. And so it is with praise in your life and my life. Because if we will be honest with ourselves and one another, there are times when our faith is not at the level that it should be and could be. There are times when our faith is not as vibrant as the Lord would have it to be. 
You remember the disciples came to Jesus on one occasion and asked a favor in regard to faith. And the favor was this, Lord, increase our faith. And to the student of God's Word, it's very clear that in the Bible, God places just as much emphasis on the subject of praise as he does on the subject of prayer. And there must be a balance of the two, a balance between prayer and praise. When I was a young boy, we were visiting our grandparents one day, and I was walking out across their backyard, and I noticed some dust coming from beneath one of the large trees. And being the inquisitive young man I was then and still am today, I made my way to that tree to investigate, and upon arriving, I saw laying on the ground a small little bird that had fallen from its nest and broken one of its wings. And with its one good wing, it was flapping with all of its might, all of its strength, all of its energy, and yet that little bird was just going round and round and round in a circle, stirring up a lot of dust. And I've thought about that little bird many times since becoming a Christian. Isn't that how we sometimes find ourselves? Despite a lot of programs and activity and movement, sometimes it seems as though we're just going round and round and round in a circle, stirring up a lot of dust. Well, my brothers and sisters, if there is going to be revival in our lives as individuals and in our church, we need two whole wings. We need the wing of prayer and we need the wing of praise. Because only as the wings of prayer and praise are in proper functioning order can you and I mount up above the circumstances and the environment that Satan would hurl in our direction to defeat us. Now, I don't know about you, but I believe I'm in training for heaven right now. And if I understand in my mind and in my heart that praise is going to be the highest occupation in heaven, maybe I will begin practicing more down here so that when I arrive to the other side, I will not feel out of place. Revelation chapter 5, verses 11 and 12. Listen to what John wrote. And I beheld... And I heard the voice of many angels around about the throne, and the beasts, and the elders, and the number of them was ten thousand times ten thousand, and thousands of thousands. Verse 12. Same with what kind of voice? One more time, what kind of voice? One more time, what kind of voice? Hold on to that. Same with a loud voice, worthy is a lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Same book, Revelation chapter 19 and verse number 1. And after these things I heard a great voice of much people in heaven. Don't you want to be a part of that much people in heaven? I know you do. And notice what we are going to be saying as part of that throng that much people in heaven. Look at it. Hallelujah. Have you heard that word lately? Hallelujah. Salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God. My brothers and sisters, surely... Surely that which is going to occupy both the eternity and the energy of heaven 
must be a fitting example for you and for me to begin practicing down on planet earth if we are going to make heaven our home. Every now and then someone will come to me and ask, Pastor Dan, why do you praise God like you do? You praise God because you were raised in a Pentecostal church? Do you praise God like you do because you went to Baptist seminaries? Why do you praise God like you do? And I smile real big like I have a tendency to do, and I respond like this. Praising God is not Pentecostal. Praising God is not Baptist. Praising God is not Seventh-day Adventist. Praising God is Christian. And if you and I have been bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, my brothers and sisters, you and I have something to praise God about because we could have lived our entire lives and never heard the wonderful gospel message that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son to die just for us. The Bible has many illustrations of the value of praise, and I want to share one with you today. It's found in the Old Testament book of 2 Chronicles, chapter 20. In 2 Chronicles, chapter 20, the armies of Ammon and Moab have come out against God's people. And in verse number 3, we're told that when King Jehoshaphat received word of that great multitude, he reacted very naturally. The Bible says he feared, he became afraid. However, King Jehoshaphat did not allow that negative agent of fear to linger in his mind and in his heart. But rather, he turned that negative agent of fear into a positive agent for the glory of God and the benefit of God's people as he called for a national season of prayer and praise. Let me ask you a question. How do you act and how do you react when the devil throws you a negative lemon. You know what most of us do? We make sour-looking faces. But I have discovered there are at least two good things to do with a lemon. Either make lemonade or lemon pie. Because how you and I act and react to the negative lemons the devil throws in our direction is going to determine how much victory we have in our lives. And my brothers and sisters, if we're always walking around with a sour-looking disposition on our countenance, who do we think we're going to influence for the kingdom of God? The Bible says the joy of the Lord is our what? The joy of the Lord is our strength. So if you and I want more strength in our lives, we need more joy. And one of the ways we have more joy is as we learn to praise our Heavenly Father. And so with the people of the kingdom gathered round about, King Jehoshaphat led out in a season of prayer and praise. And what a season of prayer and praise it was. And to me... One of the greatest and yet humblest statements ever uttered by human lips is recorded in verse number 12 of Second Chronicles 20. Listen, the king is praying and he says, O our God, wilt thou not judge them, talking about the armies? For we have no might against this great company that cometh against us, neither know we what to do. Now let me pause and ask a question. Is there anybody else beside King Jehoshaphat and Pastor Dan that's ever felt like that? You just did not know what to do. 
As we say in my part of Georgia, you felt as though you're between a rock and a hard place. Ever felt like that? Well, I want you to notice where his attention was, though. He said, God, even though the arm is great that's come against us, and even though we do not know what to do, we're not going to focus on that great army. We're not going to concentrate on not knowing what to do. He said, our eyes are upon thee. Not on the circumstances, not on the environment around about us, but God, we are going to look to you because you are the author and the finisher of our faith. Now, the Bible does not reveal how long they waited for an answer to that prayer, but I personally do not believe they waited too long. God anointed a messenger and sent the messenger with a message of hope. And all that the church today could understand, that when the devil comes against us like a storm, we can follow the illustration of Second Chronicles chapter 20 and experience the very same results. Because the promise made to King Jehoshaphat is made to every Christian pastor. And the promise made to Judah is made to every local congregation. What was the promise? Begin reading with me in verse 15. The messenger said, Hearken, you all members of the Christian church, and you inhabitants of Pensacola, Florida, and thou, Pastor Dan Gerard. Isn't that what your Bible says? That's exactly what my King James Version of the Bible says. Because all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is what? And is profitable. And God's saying to spiritual Israel today the same thing God said to spiritual Israel hundreds of years ago. So what was and is the promise? Look at it. Hearken you all Judah. You inhabitants of Jerusalem and thou King Jehoshaphat, thus saith the Lord unto you, be not afraid. Question, how had the king reacted in verse number three when he heard the report? He was afraid. And so a part of the message of hope is, don't be afraid. My Bible says that perfect love does what? It casts out what? It casts out fear. And how much fear will it cast out? It will cast out all fear. And so the messenger says, Be not afraid nor dismayed by reason of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Verse 16, Without taking a breath, tomorrow go you down against them. Now, let me pause there. And make a statement. I know myself pretty well. And knowing myself, if I had been there listening to that message, about that time I would have thrown up both of my hands and yelled at the top of my lungs, wait just a minute. You just told me the battle is God's and not mine. So if the battle is God's and not mine, why do I need to go out against them? If the battle is God's, not mine, why can't I sleep in late in the morning? 
If the battle is God's and not mine, why can't I skip breakfast, just get up in time for lunch? In fact, if the battle is God's and not mine, why do I even need to bother to get out of bed? A very important principle. God wanted physical Israel then to understand, and God wants spiritual Israel today to understand, and the principle is this. God knows the strategy of the devil even before the devil thinks it up. Look at it. Tomorrow go you down against them, behold, they come up by the cliff of Zeus, and you shall find him at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jeruel. My brothers and sisters, do you understand that the devil cannot pull anything over on Father God? Before those generals ever mapped out their strategy on the blackboard or the whiteboard, ever what kind of board they had, God was already aware of their tactics. God knows the end from when. God knows the end from the beginning. And it's time you and I understand that God is in control of all things. And God knows the strategy of your enemy. And God knows the strategy of my enemy even before he conjures it up. Verse 17. Don't worry. Be happy. (laughs) Every time I read verse 17, I think about the little song. Some of you that are older like I am, you remember that? You shall not need to fight in this battle. Set yourselves... Stand you still and see the salvation of the Lord with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Fear not, there it is again. Nor be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against him, for the Lord will be with you. (laughs) Thank you for that hallelujah. If God be for us, who can be against us? Now, how did the king and the people react to that promise? Look at verse 18. And Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. Verse 19. And the Levites of the children of the Korhites and the children Korhites and the children of the Korhites stood up. And I want you to notice what they stood up to do. They stood up, look at it. To praise the Lord God of Israel with a whisper. Wow, your Bible reads just like mine. They stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with a loud voice on high. Now, some people have a tendency to get a little upset with Pastor Dan because I have a tendency to get louder and louder and louder. But if you will pardon my English, you ain't heard nothing yet. Because the closer I draw to the coming of Jesus, the louder I want to become. In fact, I am told that the third angel's message is to go forth how? As a loud cry. And just between you and me and ever who you choose to share it with, we have been silent and muffled for too long. It's amazing to me. Not being critical, not being judgmental, I love sports. I played most sports. But it's amazing to me how people can get so excited about a sporting event. 
I mean a basketball game or football game or baseball game or, or hockey or tennis or golf. And yet we can't get excited about Jesus. Well, my brothers and sisters, you have come too late to tell me I cannot praise my God with a loud voice on high. When I came into the Seventy Adventist Christian Church in 1982, after being a pastor in the Pentecostal world for almost 18 years, I was placed on the pastoral staff in Keene, Texas, that large church, and some of the dear saints came to me and said, you'll calm down. Well, I didn't. After 18 months, they sent me to Andrews for a year of postdoctoral work, and some of the dear saints came and said, you'll come back, calm down, but I didn't. You see, Jesus and me are still on our honeymoon. I just celebrated a few days ago my 54th anniversary of being a child of God, and you have come too late to tell me I have got to be quiet. <laughs> Hope that don't offend any of you. But Pastor Dan, really, does this kind of praise have any value? Well, let's continue reading in verse 20. And they rose early in the morning. Now, let me ask you a question. Did God tell them to get up early in the morning? No, he just said, tomorrow, go out against them. But they were so excited in the Lord. They had spent time praying. The spark plug had ignited their faith. And they rose early in the morning. They could not hardly wait to see what God was going to do. How long is it since you approached a day like that? Just sit on the edge of your bed before the feet touch the floor and said, God, I can't hardly wait to see what you're going to do today. They rose early in the morning, went forth into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went forth, Jehoshaphat stood and he said, Hear me, O Judah. And you inhabitants of Jerusalem, believe in the Lord your God, and so shall you be established. Believe his prophets, and so shall you prosper. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed singers unto the Lord, that they should praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army, and to say, Praise the Lord, for his mercy endureth forever. And I can just imagine in my sanctified speculation now that as the generals of those armies were on the hillside looking down, they thought this is going to be a walk in the park. Look at those crazy people. They don't have any swords. They don't have any spears. They don't have any shields. Listen to them. They're just singing. This is going to be a walk in the park. But they were in for a rude awakening. And the children of God only had one chorus of the song they were singing. Look at it. Praise the Lord, for his mercy endureth forever. Praise the Lord, for his mercy endureth forever. Praise the Lord, for his mercy endureth forever. Question. Could God have won the victory for his people before they got there? God could have, couldn't he? But I want you to underscore in your minds and hearts for the rest of your life and living when the victory came. Verse number 22. And when... 
they began to sing and to praise. The Lord sent ambushments against the children of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, which were come against Judah, and they were smitten. So when did the victory come? The victory came when they started singing and praising God. And my brothers and sisters, if you want more victory in your life, start singing and praising God like you have never sung and praised God before. There is victory in Jesus. And praise is like a spark plug to ignite our faith. Let me ask you this question. Where does God live? Now, we know he lives in heaven, right? We know he lives in our heart. But in the context of what we're looking at, where does God live? Go with me to Psalm 22. Psalm 22. David is communing with Heavenly Father. And listen in verses 1 and 2. My God, my God. Why hast thou forsaken me? Do those words sound familiar? Who else asked that question? Jesus hanging on the cross, right? Is there anybody else besides Jesus, David, and Pastor Dan who's ever felt like that? You ever asked that question? Oh my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? me? Why art thou far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? Oh, my God, I cry in the daytime, but, but thou hearest not, and in the night season, and I am not silent. You ever felt like that? Just seemed as though God is nowhere around. You ever been in that place? Well, my brothers and sisters, I want you to underscore for the rest of your life and living where David's attention turned. He said, God, even though you don't seem to be anywhere close by, look at verse number three. But thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest. Now, what does inhabit mean? To live? To dwell? So, where does God live? Where does God dwell? What is the habitation of God in regard to your relationship and my relationship with him? Look at it. O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. So if you and I, you already know that I'm a simple man, right? And some people believe I'm simple-minded. Remember I told you that story? I'm just simple-minded man. But I believe with all of my mind and all of my heart that, that if I want more of the presence of God in my life, I need to praise God more because God inhabits the praises of his people. I've asked myself the question many times, why is it that some of my brothers and sisters seem to find it very difficult to praise the Lord? And I become convicted in my intellect and convinced in my emotions that one of the reasons is some of us really do not accept that praise is part of God's will for our life and living. Ephesians chapter 5. Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus and God's Spirit is saying to the church today, verse 17, 
Wherefore, on the basis of what I've already written and said, be you not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. So God wants you and God wants me, God wants us to understand his will. And then Paul begins to enumerate various aspects of God's will. Now drop down to verse number 20. A part of God's will for your life and a part of God's will for my life is giving what? Thanks how often? Always for how much? Look at it. Giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I will be the first one to admit that to live this kind of life is not easy to do for natural mankind. You see, the fleshly way for us to live is to complain when circumstances are not producing roses and the environment around about us has an obnoxious odor. Don't go to the next slide yet, and don't look there in your Bibles, those of you that are following me, but can you quote Philippians 2.14? Look at it now. Philippians 2.14. Do all things without murmurings and disputings. My brothers and sisters, if you are a murmurer, the remedy is praising God. And in your mind and heart, if not in your Bibles, you need to draw a line from Philippians 2.14 over to Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 20. Because it is impossible to praise God, to give thanks always for all things and murmur at the same time. You just cannot do it. You don't have to go there in your Bible. But do you remember the story of Paul and Silas in the Philippian jail? Remember that story in the book of Acts? Let me refresh our memory. Paul and Silas have been incarcerated for preaching the gospel. That they're in that prison in Philippi. And Silas looks over at Paul and he says, Paul, these chains, you are tight on my wrist. And Paul looks at Silas and says, yes, Silas, did you hear that fellow in that cell next door to us snoring last night? I didn't get a wink of sleep. And yeah, Paul, the food they're feeding us in this place is not fit for the dogs. Is that what they were doing? <laughs> not on your life. <laughs> while their hands were chained, while their feet are in shackles, while they're incarcerated in that small prison cell, while the man in the cell next door to them is snoring up a storm, Paul and Silas were so excited in the Lord, at midnight they started praising God. It made Father God so happy, he just stretched out his long arm, shook open that prison door, a Philippian jail in his household was converted and baptized, and a church was started in the city of Philippi. You want to turn this church upside down for the glory of God? Don't murmur. Don't complain. Start giving thanks and praise to God for all things. Because just between you and me and ever who you choose to share it with, nobody wants to belong to a murmuring church except other murmurers. 
Several years ago, I started having problems with my eyes. And I thought I knew the problem, but I went to the optometrist, and sure enough, he diagnosed that I needed bifocals. So a few days later, I go back, and I'm sitting at the little desk, and the young lady is adjusting them to my face. And there the devil was. He said, look at you, old fellow. You are now over the hill. You are past 40. Not only are you over the hill, now you're wearing bifocals. And about that time, I had all I could take, and I let out one of my hallelujahs. <laughs> and the young lady, she jerked back, and she said, why did you say that? And I responded, well, I was sitting here about to murmur and complain about wearing bifocals, and it dawned on me it could be worse. I could be wearing trifocals. <laughs> and she started laughing. I shared that sometime later, and, and there's an elderly lady came out of the church, and she had this big grin on her face, and she said, Pastor Dan, don't ever say anything against trifocal. She said, it could be worse. She said, you could be blind. <laughs> My brothers and sisters, it could be worse. Several years ago, I was driving along minding my own business, looked up and read the sign, turning gray's not bad, ask any bald-headed man. <laughs> And I like that. But if you and I are always murmuring and complaining about bifocals and trifocals and turning gray and going bald, who do we think we're going to influence for the kingdom of God? So what if we go blind? So what if it all falls out? One day we're going to have a new body. Amen. <laughs> and now's not the time to murmur and complain. How many of you want to make God happy? Okay, I think every hand's going up. Let me give you the formula for making Father God real happy. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15. Hebrews 13, 15. By him, speaking of Jesus, therefore let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God. And as if someone is about to ask, well, how often are we to offer the sacrifice of praise? Notice the next word. Continually. Now, look at me. I want everyone to look at me. Wing of prayer. Okay? How often are we to be praying? Pray without ceasing. Wing of praise. How often are we to be praising God? Continually. My brothers and sisters, prayer and praise is not a program, it is a lifestyle. And God wants you and God wants me to always be in an attitude of prayer and praise. He continues, by him therefore let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. And again as if someone is about to ask, well what do you mean by that? He says, that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Now, I love you. you. See my teeth? Am I smiling? I love you. And it is possible to praise God in silence. But my brothers and sisters, it is time we start praising God out loud with the fruit of our lips. Again, people will still come to me and ask, Pastor Dan, why do you praise God like you do? 
And there are a number of reasons, but because of the time factor, let me just share two reasons with you. First of all, I do not believe that the devil can read my mind and my heart. Some of the time, I wonder if I know what's going on in there, okay? Now, I'm not going to charge you anything extra for what I'm about to say. In fact, I don't charge you anyway. Do you understand, my friends, that <clears throat> there are only two ways the devil knows what we're thinking or feeling? There are only two ways. As we tell him with our lips... Or we show him with our body language. Are you listening to me? Pastor Dan, what are you talking about? Let me illustrate it like this. Let's say that, that I'm up here preaching and, and you would not dare do this. But let's say I'm up here preaching and, and you're doing this number here. Now, what sign does that give me? Interest or non-interest? Let's say that Ben and I are talking, and, and he's telling me something that's really important and special to him, and I'm doing this number here. What am I telling him? Interest or non-interest? My brothers and sisters, the devil only knows what we're thinking and feeling as we tell him with our lips or show him with our body language. And, and I have a little ritual I go through. Every now and then after the devil has shot those fiery darts in my direction and I can only take it for so long, I get in my car, I head to the closest interstate highway or country road, and I get my car going just as fast as it will go. That's safe and legal. I roll down the window and I start singing a song just as loud as I can. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Because he first loved me. Then I asked, devil, how do you like that? <laughs> the devil needs to hear from our lips that we love God. Amen. <laughs> Secondly. I praise God out loud like I do because I have discovered that by and large, we are living in the age of condemnation. Are you noticing this? Condemnation is building, it's building, it's building like a volcano and soon it will erupt. Our little children can cut one another down so fast, we have taught them well. And it's easy to fall into the trap of using condemnatory words in our conversations and relationships with one another. Several years ago, I'd fallen into the trap of using the word turkey in my vocabulary. Especially if I was talking with someone and they did not agree with me or I did not agree with them. One day I was talking with a fellow pastor, and he said something I really didn't agree with. And I said, you turkey, you. Don't you know it'll be such and such a way? And he moved up about six inches from my nose, and he went, gobble, gobble, gobble. 
And it dawned on me what I was doing. That man's not a turkey. A turkey is a dumb, illiterate bird. But my brothers and sisters, you and I need to praise God out loud so the devil might be reminded and God might be informed that Jesus came not to condemn the world, but Jesus came to save the world. Amen. And if Jesus does not condemn me, I have no right to condemn you, and you have no right to condemn me. And just in case no one has informed you, you have a right to praise God out loud even in church. Now, all things must be done decently and in order, amen? But when Pastor Dan says something that blesses your heart, you ought to say amen. When Pastor Dan says something that excites you in the Lord, you ought to say praise the Lord. When Pastor Dan says something that elevates you in Jesus, you ought to let out a hallelujah every now and then. (laughs) But say something. If I step on your toes, just holler, ouch. Okay? It's all right to praise God out loud in church. I give you permission to do so. And if ever you get out of order, you and I will have a conversation. But I don't believe you will. But Pastor Dan, how can I make God happy? Look at verse 16. But to do good and communicate, forget not. Look at that. For with such sacrifices, talking about the sacrifice of praise, God is what? God is not just pleased. God is well pleased. Anybody else here besides me want to make God well pleased? We do, don't we? And we make Father God well pleased as we offer the sacrifice of praise continually. I conclude by us to Psalm 150. Let me ask you a question. How many of you are alive? Okay, some of you are in doubt. (laughs) That was not a trick question, okay? Let me reassure you, if you are breathing, you are alive. Now, it may not be the quality of life you would like, but if you're breathing, you're alive, okay? Psalm 150 and verse 6. Let everything that hath breath, are you breathing? Let everything that hath breath do what? Praise the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. Several years ago, there was a young teenage girl going to a church function. She picked up some of her young friends, and they had a great time at that church function of fellowship and fun. When it was all over, they got in the automobile, and she started toward their various homes, and she came to an intersection. She had the right of way and started to go through, and there was a driver from an opposite direction that disobeyed the traffic signal plowed into the side of that automobile loaded with young people. And they were all killed, except the young girl who was driving. She spent weeks in the hospital. Finally, the doctors called their parents and said, 
take her home. There's nothing we can do for her. There is no physical reason why she's paralyzed from her waist down. It's all in her mind. It's all in her heart. She's blaming herself for the death of her friends. Take her home. There's nothing we can do for her. A few days after they took their daughter home, there was an elderly lady from down the street came to visit with her, had a pleasant visit. As she was getting ready to leave, she asked, Sweetheart, is there any part of your legs or your feet you can move at all? The young girl asked her to remove the comforter, and she pointed down to her right foot. And just barely detectable was a little movement in one toe. The elderly lady squeezed her and said, Sweetheart, that's fantastic. Would you do yourself a favor? Every time you think about it, would you praise God for movement in that one toe? The young girl said she would. A few days later, the elderly lady came back and had another pleasant visit. And, and as she was leaving, she asked, Sweetheart, how's it going? The young girl threw the comforter off of her legs and pointed down to that foot. And now there was movement in all five of those toes. The elderly lady squeezed and said, Sweetheart, that's fantastic. Would you do yourself a favor? Every time you think about it, would you praise God for movement in those five toes? And the young girl said she would. In just a few weeks, that elderly lady knew the thrill of placing a frail armor, arm around strong shoulders and the joy of a strong arm around her frail shoulders as together they took the first step toward complete recovery. Today, that young girl not only walks, she runs for the glory of God. And it all started by praising God for movement in one toe. Elder, I believe that soon and very soon, there's going to be a conversation in heaven that goes kind of like this. As God the Father looks over at God the Son, and he says, Son, can you hear my children? Listen to my children, son. Son, they've learned to praise us. Son, my children are ready to come home. Son, go get my children. And Jesus is going to be on the way. And the dead in Christ are going to rise first, and we who might be alive and remain are going to be caught up together with them in the clouds. And as we're being transported to that better place, we are all going to break out in a chorus together. Lo, this is our God. <laughs> we have waited for him. <laughs> and when you get to the other side, you can find me real easy. Because I'm going to be on the corner of Hallelujah and Amen Boulevard. <laughs> and I want to meet you there. We are going to have a Hallelujah time. Would you plan on meeting me on the other side? But until then, let's get ready by praising Him now. Father God, Thou art worthy. Thou art worthy, thou art worthy, 
O God, to receive glory, glory and honor, glory and honor and power, for thou hast created Hast all things created, thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created, thou art worthy. O Lord, can't sing that too good now, but I'm looking forward to singing it on the other side. Would you stand together with me as we blend our voices, number 341, as our chorus comes, 341, to God be the glory.
Before we sing this last verse, both of our hymns today were written by Fanny Crosby. Do you know that she was blind? I'm looking forward to meeting people on the other side. And one of the people I'm especially looking forward to is this lady who wrote so many beautiful hymns of praise, even though she was blind. As we sing this last verse and we come to the chorus, let the rafters ring with praise to the Lord. Amen. He have taught us great, have done, and great our rejoicing through Jesus the Son. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the earth hear His voice. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the people rejoice. Oh, come to the Father through Jesus the Son. We praise you for the great things you have done, and these great things you have done because you are a great God. And we leave the sanctuary today with this pulsating in our minds and hearts to your glory and honor. Amen.